Yeah, greetings, and thank you for having us this morning. Um, New Hope has been one of the first, first or the second, I can't even remember if it was our Sending Church Orangewood who officially gave us the news, or was it Richard who gave us the news that New Hope would be on board with us um, on our mission to Native America um, five years ago now when we started. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, New Hope is a, is a great fellowship here. We know uh, some people here uh, personally, and our experience when we come has always been warm and welcoming and very supportive. So thank you so much. We, uh, we are thankful to be here. Well, if you have, you, you know what, we get slides. I don't know how they work. I don't know. Yeah, you got slides, and do you know when to move them forward or anything like that? I, I don't know. All right. I'll, I'll raise my right or left hand or something. Um, so let, let me go ahead and read our passage. Uh, I'm looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. Is that Randall and Tina? Yes, Romans 8:31 and following. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give him all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you. We thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus. We come to you in the power of the, of the, of the Holy Spirit. We come to you in our own weakness, yet in the power of Jesus. And we would ask by that same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that had these wonderful words penned for our behalf, that that same Holy Spirit would apply to our hearts. So now, even now, grant us ears to hear, enlarge our hearts to receive your word, that we would be more like Jesus for your glory. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. I was on an airplane 25 years ago. I remember because I was coming back from Florida, back meaning I was living in Rhode Island at the time, and um, I was on a plane, and, um, and uh, I took my seat, and I opened my Bible, getting ready for the flight, and, and I opened it to this passage. And I didn't actually know. I didn't purposely open it to this passage. I just opened my Bible, getting ready to read my Bible. I'm on an airplane for a few hours, and um, so I cracked open the Bible, and I'm sitting there, and everyone's getting their, 
um, luggage and stuff up in the, in the compartments. And one of the stewardesses, like we used to call them back in those days, she, she walked, she kind of leaned over and she said, Lo, I am with you to the end of the age, but it doesn't say anything about height. And at first I thought, young gal, maybe, I don't know what to do with it. I, I, um, because it, it just felt like, you know what, I don't, I think she's telling me something here that it's not to be edifying. I think she's trying to put doubt in my ears about what I'm reading here, because it, it doesn't say anything about height. Well, of course, the word low is Old English. It has nothing to do with low, altitude. It has low means kind of behold or marvel. So she just blew it on that one. Um, but, the, but she had said, and I, it, she finally walked away, and I, and I realized, did she just like tell me not to believe my Bible or something? I don't know what she's talking about. I don't know, because she didn't come back. So I, as the flight took off, and, and I'm, I'm reading my Bible, it was open to this passage where it does say that neither um, height nor depth or can t- separate from the love of God. So she was wrong. We know that part. But she kind of blew with the, with the high and low thing. I, just, I wish I just knew that at the time, and I, I probably wouldn't say anything anyways. But, you know, it's, it's in my head, you have those arguments, you know, you always win. So if I could just do a do-over, I would love to see her again and just let her know that she really blew it with that one. Um, that's, that's my first story on this passage. I don't know if you're edified, but let's move on to another one. Um, it was within that year or so um, where this passage was really, I wanted it to mean a lot to me. What does that mean? Well, by this point, I'm 25 or 20, yeah, 25 years old, and, and I've been a Christian for five years, and I was attending um, a church that, that, that subscribes to more of the, what's called the Arminian view of, of, of salvation, where you could lose your salvation. And that was, a, that was always a thing with me, because I really believe Romans chapter 3, and I know my own track record, and I would tell folks, I can't even get to Sunday school on time. I can't think about getting to heaven one day if that's up to me to make it to the very end because I know myself. And if, if I could lose it, then I'm going to lose it. That's all there is to it. So, but you read passages like this and you, get, and you had, I had some friends who were not Arminian in, in their theology. And, and, um, and I would see how they would hold on to this passage and believe it for all it's worth. And, and it, was, it was a great source of comfort. And it, it was no comfort to me because it, it would seem that way in the beginning. And, and then upon more introspection, believing your theology at the time, which as my, my, my pastor had, had relayed one time in a sermon, because he knew I was considering, well, I did make my, up my mind to leave the, that church uh, because of I just had to... I was just struggling with this, this theology. I needed to go somewhere else to figure it out. Um, and I was, at that time, I was a Sunday school teacher. And, and I, I've, I've gone to that denomination's Bible college where I met my lovely wife, Regina. And, and I, I, I realized I just, I got to leave this church. I, I love these folks, but I, I just, this theology is killing me because I'm getting no comfort. And, and I, the pastor went through this passage. And he went through it as I read it. And, and then he said, he listed those things, these wonderful things that neither height nor depth or powers, principalities or anything in all the world. And then he kind of, and I love my pastor and he's with the Lord, I'm sure. I, I really am convinced he's with the Lord now. But I remember he put his elbow on the pulpit 
It was a smaller pulpit. He was shorter than I was even. And he said, except, he did this with his finger. He said, your will. And I went, that is my problem. <laughs> That's exactly my problem. I am not staying up at night worried about angels or demons or height or depth or airplanes or whatever. I'm just not losing sleep over all these things that are listed when it comes to my salvation. I'm worried about me because I know what I'm made of. And I know that there was a season where I was, I was just come to the Lord and, and I believed. And it was, it was a, a time I was not attending church, I, you know, and, and I was just struggling with some things. And I still was a believer, but I was just, you know, I had a lot of work to do. And the Lord had a lot of work to do on me. And, and but I, I struggle to just to find the full comfort in this. So I want everyone here to find the full comfort in this. So I, um, as much as we can, let's, let's, let's go through this. Paul starts here in verse 31. He says, what shall we say to these things? Well, what things? So we're going to spend a good amount of time on the things, these things. These are the things. There should be a slide here somewhere. You don't need it. You get a Bible. I Everything you see on the wall will be in your Bible anyway. So I'm looking at what we're going to do before we really delve into verses 31 and forward. We're going to go ahead and go back, and we're going to go to the beginning of, of chapter 8 in verse 1. Now, what we could actually do is really rewind and go back further to chapter 5 in the book of Romans. Because, because Paul, when he talks about these things, he just unloaded in the last few chapters and all the benefits that we have in Christ Jesus. And so I'm not going to, we don't have time uh, to go back to chapter 5 and go through every single verse. I'd love to. I, I was told that everyone was instructed to bring snack bars and, or lunch because we're going to be here for a long time. I mean, what time is it though? It's, <laughs> all right. I don't know when we end anyways, it doesn't matter. So. What things? Let's, 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 let's look at the things that we can find at least in verse or chapter 8. Verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Number one, you are not condemned. You have escaped the wrath of God forever. You will not pay the penalty for your countless and relentless sins. That's a thing. Put that on the list. You're not in trouble. You are in Christ Jesus. Go to verse 9. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, the Spirit of God dwelling in us, just think about that. Marvel at that. This is fulfillment of what Jesus talked about in John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's another thing that Paul wants us to, to look at. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, but a Christ in you. Let's just consider that for just a moment. By the way, every one of these things is a sermon in itself. I'm trying to not do that for you. I'm just trying to go through quickly because I want to talk about these things and, and I want to get to our, uh, the actual sermon. So I'm going to do these probably like 12 mini micro sermons, if that's okay with you. But if Christ is in you, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, Christ is in you. 
That's how it works. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is with the promise of the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. So yes, he's going away physically for sure, but he will because of his, he has two natures, right? We know that about our triune God. That the second person of the Trinity is both fully man and fully God. Although Jesus the man will be taken up he will be with us presently through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When you, when you hear the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of Christ is there. So we are not alone. He, Jesus didn't, send, he didn't say, I'm sending you a replacement helper. He said, another helper. Right? Jesus is our, he is our comforter. He is our helper. And he's sending another one to dwell within us. And if it's true that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, then guess what? The Spirit of Christ himself dwells within us. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he, raised, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, focus here, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. How often, here's my question, how often do we marvel at the fact that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us? I mean, do you ever have those epiphany moments where you go, whoa, let's, the same spirit, the one who raised Christ is actually in me. Do you, does, does, how many times in your life does that hit you? Let it hit you now. Think about our, our worldly pursuits or our, our Christian worldly pursuits. I don't even know how to label it. Just so you know, I come from, I'm a, I was raised in the, in the Roman Catholic tradition originally, did my first communion and my first confession and did all that kind of stuff. I still got my materials from that preparation and everything else. And, and every now I look it over and I say, wow, look what the Lord has saved me from. But being in the Roman Catholic tradition, you know, we, we, if, we, if we are good Protestants and we recognize our Reformed faith and we recognize all our heroes of the faith and we recognize John Calvin and Martin Luther and all the magisterial reformers as they're called and we, we talk about Geneva and we talk about the canons of Dor, all those things that, that, that are important in church history. I gotta be honest with you though, I've been around Protestants long enough and it's, it seems we, there's something similar that we do to Catholics, as Catholics. We do our pilgrimages, right? It still happens. We still have our little artifacts, our relics, as they're called, in the Catholic Church. Regina's face, she's going, what's he going to say next? Um, I'm just saying, let's just be honest. It's, it's just, we're like that, folks. We really are. And how often do Christians, we, they trip over themselves and, 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 and we get their bragging rights because they visit some historic building. I mean, it's... This is being recorded. Hey, listen. <laughs> PCA is a wonderful denomination. I'm part of it. You're part of it. And I'm all about it. And, uh, and there's a lot of great churches. Uh, not just in PCA, but throughout the world, of course. It's, it's Jesus' church, ultimately. Uh, but even we use language, and it's, and, it's, and it's no slight on this church. I'm just going to say it anyway, though. It's no slight on them at all. But how we, who can ever, who's ever heard of the 10th Presbyterian church? In, no, no, you've heard of the, of the historic 10th Presbyterian, just so you know. <laughs> you've heard of historic, 
right? And somehow we, we put these terms on things and, and, and we, we, we underline things and put them in bold print and neon and we, we just emphasize and, and we do all these things. And then some folks maybe had the privilege of going to Europe and, and we did a few years ago with our training with MTW and we walked through these beautiful cathedral type of churches, which as far as I can tell, I, uh, they, they, they were, uh, they're just museums at this point. And the gospel's not in them. And we marvel and our breath gets taken away because we see this beautiful architecture and we see the beautiful stained glass windows and all those things which I really dig. I'm all about it. I'm all about great architecture and design. I'm all about it. But the fact is, I was standing in a church where there's, it's dead. There's no, there's no gospel here. Right? But yet, you know, those are, those are Catholic relics. But, you know, the point is, is, is how often do, if you've heard Protestants, you know, brag of, uh, and, and speak of their time, they, they visited this, and, and, and this famous preacher spoke from Calvin's pulpit. From Calvin's pulpit. This is Richard's pulpit. <laughs> it was donated by Best Timers uh, and built by Chuck Mountain. 1994, piece of oak, beautiful piece of oak. Um, and now maybe one day someone's going to say, I preached at the same pulpit Patrick did. And it ain't going to happen. But my point is this. As cool as all that may be of, of being in that same spot where something really historic happened, a famous, a famous thing was, uh, a sermon was preached on that spot or in that, murder, that martyr was burned in that spot, all those things which have historical import and are worthy of pause and recognition for sure. But look to the person to your right or to your left. And in that person dwells the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is dwelling in a vessel right next to you. And even closer than that, if you indeed are a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Most of us will never go to the tomb where they think it was Jesus' tomb, whether it is or not. I tried to, I, if someone brought me there, I wouldn't get too excited because I know it's, I don't know. I don't know if that's, if, that's, if that's the hole in the ground or not. But I can rejoice that the same Holy Spirit that took Jesus out of the grave dwells within me. Just marvel at that one. You can low to that one. Low. So if you want bragging rights, you got him right there. Let him who boasts, boast that he knows me, says the Lord, Jeremiah 9.24. Know that your fragile, tiring, gravity-loving, dying body will one day be raised from the grave to live forevermore, free from all aches, pains, agonies, itches. In your most prime condition, Young ones, you have no idea what it feels like to be fully, fully alive. But it's coming. The day is coming when your mortal bodies will be resurrected, glorified, and you're going to feel like you never felt before, even in your best days. Verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You don't owe a thing to your sinful desires. No matter how seemingly benign, do not give in. I have one of my children here testify. I used to tell my kids this. Imagine an evil twin following you around all day long. He or she wearing all black clothes with the word lazy written across the front of the shirt. 
at least that day, it's the flesh overall. But all day long, your twin follows you around saying, hey, take it easy. Don't worry about it. Tomorrow is another day. It's okay. You deserve this. Just imagine that lookalike following you around all the day long, letting you off the hook. No big deal. Little white lie. You're not obligated to your flesh. You're free. You are free from the power of that flesh. Let's keep moving. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. That's another of these things that we need to look at. Whatever you feel at this present moment, or perhaps maybe it's a long, dark season, whatever you're feeling, you are not adrift, wandering, aimless. You're being led by the Spirit of God. Wherever you are right now, according to the fleeting worldly measurements, as good as they may be, you're in Christ. You're being led by the Holy Spirit. You are in Christ for sure. No matter where you are in life, whatever your station is, if you are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in Christ. That's just not a mindset. That's not what we're talking about here. You positionally, by, by the mystical union, that we, as it's called in the theological terms, the mystical union with Christ, you are joined forever with, with Christ. You're not lost. Wherever you are in your career or school advancement or lack thereof, wherever you are in your health recovery, whether it's getting better or getting worse, wherever you are, whether it's relationships that are growing or disintegrating, wherever you are in life, you are being led by the Spirit and always in Christ. You are a child of God, plain and simple. Children of God are not under the continual, perpetual, never-ending always abiding, ever-loving, guiding hand of God. That's where you are. The Lord is always your shepherd. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have, underline this, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You are an adopted child of God. That means God chose to make you his own. He could have left you as orphans. But remember Jesus, he said, that's not going to happen. We're not orphans. We call on our Heavenly Father. We call on him not like Captain Von Trapp, but as Daddy, who knows us intimately and causes us to sing. Does anyone have any idea what I'm talking about with that one? Ask someone if you don't know. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Not only are we children of God, but we have the witness of the Spirit to prove it. You are not left to guessing, surmising, or deducing. If you are doubting the Spirit's witness with yours, then you're putting your trust in something else other than God's sure and pure witness. Let that sink in. If you're having a hard time believing God's word, it's because you're putting something above it. You're putting, maybe you're looking at your track record. Maybe you're looking at just how you feel at the moment. But if you're doing that and somehow don't feel like a child of God, if somehow 
you're not believing the Holy Spirit based on that. Just, just know it. It's obje- objectively true that you're actually putting something above the Lord. And that's even forgivable, just so you know. That itself doesn't prove you're out. That just proves that you're doubting. That just proves that you're having a low moment. But as God's children, he knows it, and he sent the Holy Spirit to work with us and to pull us out of it. Verse 17, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Not only are we children, we are children, but we're heirs. That's additional. That's another thing of these things. We're children and heirs. Note, not all children are heirs. In a good way, that is. All of us inherit things from our parents at birth and through life, both virtuous and not so virtuous. But I'm speaking of those things willed to surviving children, such as estates, properties, money, keepsakes, personal tokens of affection, all those things that we think of when a, when a will is, is, is read and who gets what. Things that we regard are, as treasured possessions, that's what we get in, the, in wills. But not all of us inherit anything like that. Just as someone else's child does not guarantee Just being someone's child does not guarantee you will be an heir. In fact, many children are written out of their parents' will. Can I tell you a sad story? My mom's not here, so I'll tell you. It's not to do with my mom, by the way. She just told me the story. When I made my first communion, remember we talked about that already? I made my first communion in my my godmother, as we have in that tradition. Maybe in, I don't know. But it it is not, that's, that's how it works. We get godmothers and godfathers. And she showed me a bank book. I don't know it was a bank book. I remember it was blue. And she said, you know what this is? And I said, I don't know. Well, let's get your name on it. That's awesome. And it showed $5. And she opened an account in my name. And every birthday and holiday and whatever day, she put some money in there for me. I forgot about it. Completely forgot about it until my mom told me the story that she spent all the money on herself. <laughs> she, put, she made a down payment for a house. And I never saw the $20,000. <laughs> I'm over it, I think. I'm, <laughs> I'm still working it out. I'm still going through it. But I know, what it's, I know what it is to feel like, at least, to have something you're waiting for and then find out it ain't coming. But that's not how it works with our God. That's not how it works whatsoever. When he says we're going to get it, we're going to get it. By the way, we also have our sufferings with Christ. That's promised, by the way. That's, that's as, as the body of Christ, we are not above the suffering. It doesn't sound very appealing, but remember Paul's words. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made comfortable, conformable. Being made conformable unto his death, Philippians 3.10. If we're going to reign with him, we're going to suffer with him. But we have someone suffering 
with us who has suffered far beyond what we could possibly imagine. Possibly. We, we can't imagine the level of suffering Jesus has done on our behalf. You can't imagine it. But there's something about suffering in this world that we get to know the Lord a little better in that moment. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the, underline this, glory that is to be revealed in us. Glory is another word. A lot of us, we, we say the word, we read it in the Bible, and sometimes we read it right on past it. And we don't really understand all that it means. Now, we can describe it with biblical terms. We can talk about glory. The Hebrew speaks of, is it the kabod, right? The, the heaviness. We can speak of God's fame, all that he's known for, all that he is on, on full display. So, yes, we can describe it. But we talk about our glory. We, we can talk about God's glory. What is it? What's our glory? Well, we do know from 1 Corinthians 15, you can look at that later, that each, everything in creation has its own glory. It's not God's glory, but it's its own glory. And we're going to be fully restored to, to the, the glory that, that awaits us. And just one more word about suffering as we wait for that glory to be revealed in us. Much of our suffering is not always because we're walking so closely with Jesus. Much of our suffering, at least for me, you can figure it out for yourself, but much of our suffering is the compound interest for not correctly processing or dealing with our suffering in light of our position in Christ. A lot of our suffering, I don't know how much, but I'm sure, I'm sure a lot is just not necessary if we had a better grasp of who we, our Savior was. We had a better grasp of, of all that he has suffered on our, our behalf, of what's waiting for us. A lot of our suffering, perhaps, would just fall by the wayside. I don't know. I, I don't have a list for you. And I, don't, I, I can't map it out and how to do it for you. Uh, I'm still working on it myself. But, um, but I do know that I suffer unnecessarily when I'm stuck on something and I'm losing sight of what the Lord has done for me. Verse 23, all who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So let's talk about first fruits real, real quick. We're already receiving the beginnings of our inheritance right now. We're already receiving the, the, the benefits. Exhibit A, everything we just talked about. These are benefits. These are the first fruits. These are benefits right away. You don't have to wait until your last day to, get, to, start reaping, to start reaping benefits from being a child of God. You get them right now. If there's another list in Galatians chapter 5. You can look that up as well. We're also awaiting the redemption of our bodies, which signifies the completion of our adoption. That finishes the deal. We're waiting for that day. There's a resurrection coming. There's no question. It's good as done. God is adopting all of you for all eternity. Which means you will need a body that is fit for the occasion. Again, look at 1 Corinthians 15. We're waiting for that. That's gonna, that's gonna, that finishes the deal. That'll be our time when we're fully glorified. When we're displayed as trophies to the angels. 
Verse 4, for in this hope we are saved. You live in hope, not despair. Are you despairing? Stop believing the world, your flesh, or the devil. They do not make very reliable witnesses. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the reliable witness. That's another thing. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. But he's not a witness who just stands by as a spectator. He is helping you more than you know. He's sustaining you right now. Weakness is not always a fault that we need to be ashamed of. Yes, the Bible tells us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. But notice, strengthen him and his power, not your own. To be strong in him and his power, not your own. That's why Paul tells us, and he said to me, we all know this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, therefore I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I will be content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. It sounds a lot like we just read earlier, right? And for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Just recognize that. Recognize the moments of weakness, and you just got to believe it in faith that the Lord is doing something right there and then. Just got to believe it. When you don't think you have it together, the Lord does. I was having that existential crisis over there earlier before I came up. I said, man, my knees are already knocking. I said, wait a minute. I'm a missionary. I talk to people all the time. Let's see what else. Oh, yeah, I went to seminary. Finished it faster than David. What else? I can do this. I can do this. I can handle a situation like this. Oh, but you're supposed to be feeding the sheep right now with God's word. Oh, yeah. Well, just tell a few jokes and get them on your side and and gain confidence that way. Or just give them the word of God. Verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who have been called according to his purpose. And all things really do work together for good. It doesn't mean everything that happened was good in itself, right? Joseph on his way to Egypt. You know, what his brothers did to him, what they did was always evil. It was evil what they did, but God used it for good. And that certainly did not undo the evil that was done. So just know that no matter what happens in your life, good or bad, God's taking it and somehow making a wonderful story out of it. We're called according to his purpose. Not just a little purpose. It's his purpose. God's purpose. Can you think of a better one? How many of us are flailing around looking for a place to fit? Looking for a reason? Looking for a purpose? Look no more. You have one. What is it? I'll tell you right now. Here's a secret. Ready? Short of catechism. Sums it up. Glorify God, enjoy him forever. You got a purpose, full time, every day, every moment. 
Glorify God. And, well, how do I do that? How, well, whether you eat or you drink, you glorify God. Okay, what does that even mean? Well, to glorify God is to testify, to broadcast, to publish how great your wonderful God is. To tell the world and testify of his attributes and his acts of righteousness. Declare who God is. So when you eat, you do it to the glory of God. We thank our Lord and recognize where we, how he sustains us. We recognize our weakness and without food, we collapse. We had to shoot up the Publix right before we got here. I didn't eat breakfast. I completely forgot. And uh, I said, I need some food. So I just threw down one of those so-called healthy drinks and I don't know. I'm still standing. <laughs> Verse 29, for those who he foreknew, we are foreknown, which really does mean foreloved. Okay, this, not, this, this verse doesn't speak of God. It doesn't say he's really smart and knows a lot of things. He doesn't just knows a lot of things ahead of time. To God to foreknow you, to know you, is to love you. That happened before the foundation of the world, and you were predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's another thing to be thankful for. We're justified, and we're going to be glorified. i got so much I want to say on these things. But we need to get to our actual sermon. I'm just warming up. I'm just going to, these are all mini sermons to get us to the important part. Verse 31, we're back where we started. What then shall we say to these things? Let's start with hallelujah. hallelujah. That's a good place to start. After, all, after these things, just in chapter 8, these things. What shall we say then? Well, I, Paul, I think we know. It's hallelujah, absolutely. Praise the Lord. But if you want to get specific of those things you need to uh, thank, be thankful for, let's go through one more time. No commentary. Thank you, triune God, for not condemning us and placing us in Christ, for, for placing us in Christ. Thank you, Abba, Father, and Son, for sending us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Number three, thank you, Jesus, for indwelling us by your Spirit. Number four, thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving life to our mortal bodies. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for liberating us from our debt to the flesh. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us as children of God. Number seven, thank you, triune God, for making us heirs with Christ. Thank you, Father, for sharing these immeasurable riches. Thank you, Jesus, for purchasing them for us by your blood. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us full access to all that Jesus achieved for us. Number eight, thank you, Lord, for our sufferings and the glory, the future glory that awaits us. May we suffer as honorable co-heirs with Christ. Thank you, God, for the first fruits of the Spirit. Thank you, Father, for our full adoption and the redemption of our bodies. Thank you, Lord, for in this hope we are saved. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us in our weakness. These are the things. So if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave us up for us all. Oh, yes. One more thing. Jesus, the son, gave us his life, lest we forget what those things cost. So thank you, Abba, Father, for giving up your son. And thank you, Jesus, for giving your all for us. So back to the question, who shall bring any charge against you? It's God who justifies. But think about it. Who, really? 
Who really can bring a charge against you? Who is the authority to bring anything against you except God alone? Paul tells us right here, it's clear in this chapter that there's nothing whole, that God is holding against you right in this chapter. There's nothing. If you want, we can go back to the first chapter 5 and work our way through and do it all over again. There's nothing against you. The only one truly qualified to condemn you is Christ Jesus, and he is too busy interceding for you. He's taking care of it all. It's all done. And, and, and for even Jesus to bring something against you, he'd be denying himself, because then he would be somehow admitting that his work was not enough. And that's simply not true. He did it all. He would not betray his perfect, finished, atoning sacrifice. There's so much more I want to give here. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ, Paul asked. Answer, nothing. No thing whatsoever. Separation from Christ's love is the worst thing that happened to any person, for sure. But according to God's gracious, marvelous, and eternal plan, that will simply not happen, no matter what evils come against us in this present fallen world, no matter what it feels like or what it looks like, In verse 37, no, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I looked it up. The word conqueror, it's like this fancy Bible software. You put your little cursor over it and tells you what the word means. And I didn't even write it down. It, this is a Greek word that we get our word Nike from. Just so you know. See, young folks or even older folks, if you run around wearing Nike, overpriced Nike shoes made in China. If you want to, when you look at those, when you see that Nike swish, right? It means conquer. It means conquer. So there, there's a little cultural symbol you can use to remind yourself of these wonderful truths that you are more than a conqueror. So what does that even mean? What's more than a conqueror? You know, um, I know what a conqueror is, but what's more than a conqueror? So I'm just going to guess here. First, maybe Paul is just using hyperbole. Like, you know, I'm not just ready, I'm more than ready. Right? Okay, you're a conqueror. No, you're more than a conqueror. Is that what it means? I actually didn't find anyone to answer the question for me in, in my studies. Not that someone hasn't addressed it, I just didn't find it. But maybe that more is something to do with that long list of things that identify us in Christ. You're not just a conqueror, but you're one of the justified. You're one of the indwelt. You're one of the adopted. You're an heir. You're more than a conqueror. If that's technically not what the more is in this passage, then these things are certainly true of you nonetheless and ought to give you full confidence to take the hill in your daily battles. Whether you like it or not, when you became a Christian, you were enlisted in a war. It's a war between two kingdoms, kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. It's the war between the seed of the woman and the serpent. It's an old war, but you were put in it. You're in that war. John tells us in Revelation that they will make war on the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord 
of lords and the king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. That's you, I believe. In this world, we'd have many troubles as sparks fly upward, says Job. We have enemies real and perceived. We have afflictions real and perceived. We have disappointments, dash dreams, challenges, overwhelming obstacles, real and perceived. If we look at these things, we can certainly despair. It can be quite easy to keep our eyes on our circumstances. But we need to keep our eyes on the big prize. We're aiming for God's glory. God's glory. The moment we try to glorify ourselves, first, it's not going to happen. It's a small target anyway. If we keep our eyes on God's glory, he'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of you. Every moment of every day, in full expectancy of his return, we will be glorified at his appearing. So I'll give some final words. Jesus said virtually the same things himself. John records them in his gospel. John sixteen thirty three. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Every hill that we take in the Lord's name, we're going to find the Lord standing on top of the hill already. He's already gone before us. So we are conquerors. Let us conquer. We're promised the victory. Jesus has already conquered death, and by his substitutionary death, he will vicariously lay hold of the victory. We will vicariously lay hold of the victory. The world is no match for us. I don't think we believe that that much. I really think if we just do a poll here, any church right now, it just seems that the world is getting worse, worser and worser and worser. And it just doesn't seem to be lining up with these great promises we're hearing, we've read about. It just doesn't seem that way. But we live by faith, not by sight. So let's live our lives as if, it were tr- if, as if it were true, because it is. You've got nothing to lose. It all belongs to Jesus. He took ownership of your sins. He took ownership of you, your possessions, your sufferings, your worries, weaknesses. And he's working all things together for his glory and our good with solid, unfailing promises that he has guaranteed with his blood. We are forever in Christ, never to be separated from his everlasting love. So let's live like it. Let me pray and have David with our benediction. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that we have. We thank you for Jesus, who has given these wonderful promises. He's lived them out. He's died them out. He's risen that they would, that they would stick. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who is applying it to our lives even now, and even now as we conclude. Empower us even more. The victory is ours. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.